You are listening to the Sunday Sermon from Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington. To learn more about Crossroads, visit us on our website at cbcbellevue.com. We took a trip to visit CBC because we had felt that the Lord was specifically calling us to this church family. And by this time, Pastor Keith, who we've known for a long time, had already been bragging about all of you to us. You've got to meet these believers. We've never seen such people with such love for one another and for Lori and me. We have never seen people who are so devoted and trained in the word. And we've never seen such generosity, especially to global outreach. Well, that got our attention. And so we booked flights. We came out and visited in October of 2019. And we were hooked. It was love at first sight. We met ministry leaders like Dana Dang, Pastor Steve, Austin Kwame, Pastor Phil of Anthem Church now, uh, Pastor Jim, Pastor Tom. We were in love with these people. We knew right away, this is our church family. We just had to figure out how God would get us here. This was love at first sight. Now from where we stood, This didn't make sense that God would be calling us out here. We were living in Louisville, Kentucky at the time. We had just bought our first house. We had just gotten done doing the work that needed to be done to really make it a home. And I was two years away from finishing my master's program. We were in the middle of an adoption process with no end in sight. But one thing we've learned is that where God calls, he always supplies. And so just four months after that trip out here, we had worshiped with you on Sunday. Four months later, in February, we met our son Amos. In June of last year, we brought him home from the hospital. In July, we sold our house. We trekked across the country. We began worshiping with you. And in August, we began teaching at the Bear Creek in Redmond, a family of believers we hold dear to our hearts, a place where Taylor will continue to teach. So we just want to say we love this church. We have already grown in such a short time to love so many of you as you have loved us, as you've welcomed us in. We just want to thank you for welcoming us into this church family so warmly. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you, and I look forward to getting to know more of you. So as we transition to our time in the Word, let me rewind back to when Taylor and I first met. We met on a missions trip. I came from my church in Indiana out to her small church in central Utah. And when we met, Taylor was interested in me right away. She'll tell you herself. I, on the other hand, was totally clueless. It was not until a couple years later that I really saw the light, so to speak. Now, something you have to understand about where Taylor is from is she grew up in the only Bible teaching church that was planted the year she was born in a county that is half a percent Bible-believing Christian. So, needless to say, she did not have very many options of men. And so, this really worked out to my advantage. (laughs) 
So when I returned two years later as a college intern with the ministry there to reach uh, the LDS people, the Mormons in central Utah, it wasn't until then that I realized how remarkable this woman is. It was, you could say, love at second sight. Love at second sight. Now there's a story of love at second sight in scripture. You'll remember that in the upper room when on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he's with his disciples and he tells them, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus does this. He lays down his life for you and me who have trusted in him for our salvation through his death and resurrection. Jesus paid the price for the sin that we have committed. He gave the greatest act of love this world has ever seen. This was love in its purest form. It was a radical, supernatural, and sacrificial love. Then 50 days later, Jesus has already ascended to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven. On the day of Pentecost, the day of harvest, Jesus, his disciples, I should say, show us this second act of great love. We could say it's love at second sight. This time it's not Jesus laying down his life, but it's believers, brand new believers, who have just come to salvation. They've been baptized, they come together, and there's this great radical, supernatural, sacrificial love among them. Love at second sight, brotherly and sisterly love for one another. Everyone in the world today is looking for love. We all want to feel unconditional acceptance, close, intimate friendship. We want to be seen and known for who we truly are. If there were a time that this ever were true, it is now, after this, in the midst of this pandemic, that we have felt such an absence of relationship and the love that we've all been made for. We've been isolated from family. We've been severed and cut off from friends. We've even at times been away from one another. How do we at Crossroads Bible Church come back together as a caring community, one of our core values here, brothers and sisters who take care of one another, sacrificing for each other's needs? We find our answer and this story of love at second sight in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42 and carrying through verse 47. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter two, and we'll be beginning in verse 42. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you just turn three-fourths of your way through your Bible and you're to the New Testament, which begins with Matthew, and then four books later is the book of Acts. As you're turning there to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we find ourselves in the middle of an incredible day in history. Acts is a history book of sorts, but it's much more than that. It's a story of God at work through the power of the Spirit, bringing spread and triumph of the gospel through Jesus and his followers. And so as history, this book serves as a transition really between the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we find recorded in the four gospels, and then the letters that follow that relay to us these instructions for these churches that we find planted 
in the time period recorded in the book of Acts. And so what we'll actually see this morning is a description of the church the day it was born. And so not every little detail in this passage is a prescription for every single Christian throughout all time, but there are universal, timeless principles in our passage to what makes a caring community that are so helpful for us, especially in a time like ours. And so we read this in verse 42 of Acts chapter two. Luke records, they, these 3,000 believers who have just been baptized in verse 41, and the 120 some believers from chapter one verse 15, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Luke is bringing us right into the room, so to speak. Do you hear it in the language he's using? They were continually devoting themselves and to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This kind of language will continue all through this passage. It's very active. It's a vivid picture Luke is portraying to us. He wants us to feel as if we're there, to, to experience what he has experienced and what these other believers have experienced. And he says they were devoted. They were continually devoting themselves. What are some things that we devote ourselves to today? Maybe for you it's water sports or outdoor recreation or maybe having the perfectly manicured lawn. Some lawns that takes absolute devotion to keep them in shape. Maybe it's a Netflix series or all those notifications you're getting on your phone constantly and, and forcing you to check over and over again. Or maybe it's video games or podcast series or work or school. When I was in middle school, one of the greatest games of all time came out, Halo. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Halo, which you shouldn't be because you're from this area, or maybe some of you aren't, and so you'll get a pass, but Halo is a science fiction game in which you play as a super soldier who is tasked with saving the universe from aliens. I mean, how great is that, right? <laughs> so. When I was in middle school, my brother and I, we, weren't, we didn't spend money very often, we usually saved it, but this was the time. We combined our money, we bought the original, you know, an original Xbox just to play Halo. We devoted ourselves to that game. We played day and night. We were so pumped. We would set up projectors and TVs, have our friends over for Halo parties. As soon as Halo 2 came out, we were on Xbox Live playing matchmaking. We devoured the campaign so that we could beat it before any of our friends. This, you know, when we weren't playing it, we were thinking about it, we were dreaming about it. We were just so devoted to Halo. Now here's the sad thing. We're talking about a video game with no intrinsic eternal value. If we devote ourselves to video games, to influencers online, to social media groups, sports teams, even manicuring our lawns, uh, or outdoor recreation, how much more are the word of God, the people of God, and passionate prayer worthy of our devotion? These believers that we read about, they got it. They were rooted in some of our very core values here at Crossroads. Do we devour the word? Can we not wait 
to pray together again? Can we not wait to be together with our church family again when we're apart? Do we think about these things day and night? Does our love for the word, each other, and prayer spill over into our friendships with family members, with coworkers, with neighbors, with classmates? Can we not stop talking about it? I'm challenged by these early believers, and I'm sure that you are too. These believers had singular focus. They had an ultimate aim. I bet you there were times when they did not feel like listening to another sermon. You might be there right now (laughs) as you sit here. But there were times also that I'm sure that they did not feel like gathering together to pray. There are times when they may not have wanted to come together uh, in fellowship and in brotherly and sisterly love. And I can say there are times when I've not felt like being committed to brotherly and sisterly fellowship. There are times when I've not felt like opening my Bible, when I've not felt like gathering together with my brothers and sisters in prayer. But that is what it means to be continually devoted in every season, in the highs and lows, for better or worse, we're committed to these things. We each need to ask ourselves this morning, if a close friend, a roommate, my spouse, my children, a coworker, a neighbor were asked, what is Tanner continually devoting himself to? Or if our community were asked, what is Crossroads Bible Church continually devoting themselves to? what would their response be? You know, here at Crossroads, we have for a long time had a history of being devoted to biblical teaching. Praise God for that. We are growing together in passionate prayer, and our vision is that we are building disciples who bring Jesus to our world. This is incredible work. It is God at work among us. Let us also be devoted equally to another one of our core values, which is the caring community, the kind of fellowship that we see in this passage together. Then Luke, uh, as, he's, as he's writing, we, we read this next. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. These believers worshiped together. In verses 42 and 43, we have this summary, maybe the shortest summary and the first summary of a worship gathering. We have the teaching of God's word, the the apostles' teaching. They were the ones sent by God to teach what Jesus had commanded. And to the fellowship, there's this coming together of brothers and sisters. So this vertical apostles teaching, connecting to God's word, this horizontal of fellowship coming together one another, this breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper, a physical thing that we do together, and to prayer, a very spiritual thing. This is a worship gathering and they worshiped together. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, or your version might say reverential fear. This is worship of a God who is at work. Then, I don't know if you missed this, but you might have, Luke just casually tucks in this little clause here. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Two things strike me about this verse. Number one, did you notice that he tells us that they kept feeling a sense of awe, and then he tells us God was working these miracles through the apostles? Wouldn't you expect this order to be reversed? These apostles were doing these amazing things and all these people, they looked at it and they were just in awe of what God was doing. But in the power of the Spirit, Luke records it differently. And the way that it reads, it seems as though these ordinary daily disciplines of being devoted to God's word, 
to coming together in brotherly and sisterly love, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, that these are the things that led these believers into deep worship. That's incredible to me. Here's the second thing that strikes me. Instead of focusing on the professionals, the apostles, and the miracles that they were doing, the signs and wonders, Luke zeroes in on something else entirely, something far more ordinary and much more extraordinary at the same time, captivates Luke's attention. We're often tempted to point to the professionals, aren't we? Oh, you want to hear the gospel? Let me let me bring you to church and hear hear my pastor preach or read this book or listen to this podcast series. We too like to point people to the quote unquote professionals. What we're about to see though, at least in this first gathering of believers in the church is it's not necessarily the pastor's preaching. It's not a podcast. It's not even miracles of God that the uh, apostles are doing that's the most compelling witness to the world. It is something you and I can all do. That to me is exhilarating. So exhilarating in fact that Luke doesn't take a breath, he doesn't re-dip his reed in ink for three and a half verses. So even though in our English Bibles, you, you may have multiple sentences broken up in the next three and a half verses from 44 through uh, the first half of 47, but in the original, it, it's all one sentence. And this, uh, this is what Luke finds so captivating about this first gathering of believers. Here it is, verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. Now let's work our way back through these verses and see what's just happened. Instead of pointing people to the apostles, Luke points us to all those who had believed. Every single person in this caring community finds a place. Every single person counts. And that's what it takes to make a caring community. If not every single person counts, then what we're really saying is that nobody counts. It's not you that counts, it's what you have or how you behave or what you can do that really counts to us. So in the caring community, every single one of these 3,000 plus believers, they've all found a part to play. They all count. And if you look back in this chapter, what you find is that these believers came together from all different nations, all different languages, and they set those differences aside because in Christ, they were one community. That no matter how different these brothers and sisters were, they have come together and care for each other. We see they even come from different social and economic backgrounds, right? In verse 45, we read this, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. The caring community does not ask, what does this person have in common with us before we invite them in? That is the comfort and convenient community, which is no community at all, right? It's just a club. 
Instead, the caring community says, if we have Christ in common, we belong to each other. We are brothers and sisters. The caring community does not say, what need of ours can this new member meet? The caring community says, what need of this new member can we together meet for them? If we start by asking what need this, this new member may be able to meet for us, we're like new parents who look at their newborn child and say, okay, what need are you going to meet in our home before they invite them in? That's just nonsense, right? And that would lead to neglect. But that neglect would only be physical. May it not be that we grow guilty before God of greater neglect by closing our communities to those among us who are in need, our brothers and sisters. It's been said that there are really three ways to think about the things that you have. The selfish person says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. The thief says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. And the disciple who prioritizes caring community says, what's mine is really God's, and so I think I'll share it. You see, that should be the case in terms of our attitude regarding our community. The same principle of caring for one another in community doesn't just apply to material things, but it applies to our spiritual gifts as well. How am I allowing God to use my spiritual gift to serve my brothers and sisters? How is God using me to encourage even my community group to serve the greatest needs in our body of believers together? What has God given me that meets a need within our church family? When the experience of something speaks for itself, we often say, the proof is in the pudding. And here in this passage, we see that that is what Luke is saying. The proof of the caring community is in the putting, the putting the needs of one another before my own. So again, this sermon in a sentence is just the proof of the caring community is in the putting, putting the needs of my brothers and sisters before my own. As Luke unfolds, unpacks this passage and this scene for us, we see that when we do that, when we taste that, there is no better place to be than with our brothers and sisters, with each other. That is clearly the experience of these early believers. Look at this. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. The caring community does not take days off. The caring community does not compartmentalize care to Sunday morning. The caring community cannot stay away from each other. My wife is a preschool teacher, and she was tasked this year with keeping three-year-olds six feet apart. And you can do a lot to keep three-year-olds six feet apart, but at the end of the day, you can't do that 100% of the time. You just can't keep them away from each other. It's a fool's errand. It's mission impossible. Here's the thing. The world, the sin of our flesh, and the enemy will do everything they can to keep us apart. But you cannot keep believers from coming together in caring community. Sure, care looks a little differently during COVID and during seasons of quarantine, but for believers, physically distant, 
ought never to be socially distant nor spiritually distant. And physically distant is only temporary and increases longing to be back together. We are embodied beings and God made us to live in bodies. Even in our eternal state, we'll live in glorified bodies together. The family of God longs to be embodied in person together. And there are times when this is just not possible. There are times when coming back together is uncomfortable and requires extra grace and extra patience with one another. But the caring community cares every day. When we care for one another every day, we focus more on each other's needs than on our own desires. And this turns family feuds, disputes, fights between believers into family fuel. The text says they were continuing together They were continuing with one mind in the temple. I grew up in church. I grew up in great churches. I love the church. But I know, having grown up in the church, that this miracle of them continuing with one mind together is a greater miracle than whatever was going on with the apostles in verse 43. You're telling me, Luke, that 3,000 brand new believers come together and they have one mind? about their lives, this is only possible as a work of God, that believers would come together across diverse backgrounds, they would come together with a singular focus. There is no other explanation. This does not mean that they didn't have personal preferences, differences, even annoyances with one another that they overcame. None of that could keep them though from being devoted to brotherly and sisterly love toward one another. You know, this really reminds me of a well-trained military brigade or Seahawks fans. These people could be mortal enemies, you know, one day, and then you get them into that uniform, you get them into that stadium, and all differences are set aside. There is one mission, there is one goal, win the battle, win the game. Now, the bond of brotherhood and sisterhood in the spirit is far deeper than any sports team, any military regimen. And so that's exactly what we see in this passage. That's what we feel is going on among these earliest believers. Can't you feel it? Luke's description doesn't stop there. It also says that they were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. Now, doesn't this sound like a party you want to be a part of? We saw that Jesus last week, he was partying in Luke chapter 14, and his followers in Acts chapter 2 just keep the party going day to day, house to house. This is a block party. Where's my invite? Come on. This is a party that we would all love to be a part of. They're not even faking faking it to make it at this point, right? They're just sincerely happy to be together. They love one another, and there they go. They're praising God again. You can't slap a curfew on these believers. This is truly one for the ages. They love one another, and it is spilling off the page. To appreciate just how unusual this kind of intimate, brotherly love and close relationship is, we have to understand something about ancient Jerusalem where this is taking place. Jerusalem was a hotbed of religious ideas and political ideas. It was home to all kinds of partisanship and factions. If you aren't part of my party, you don't get to come to my party. 
That was the attitude in Jerusalem. I wish I could describe to you what this must have felt like, but you know, there's just some things like living among a diverse body of believers in unity, striving for unity in a society that is fragmented and fractured by all kinds of political and religious ideas and factions, that you just have to experience it to know what I'm talking about, right? And so, you know, it, it's, it's too bad that that was back then in ancient Jerusalem and we're never experiencing anything like that today that we can't really know what these believers were going through. Here's the danger though. In a culture that is set on picking sides, we as believers can get caught up in picking sides so that we miss the main course. Don't miss the main course. Jesus died for his church. He is building the church. We are building disciples who bring Jesus to our world. This is what God has called us here to do. The gospel breaks down the dividing walls constructed by the world and the sin of our hearts. I have been so encouraged as we have been here at Crossroads to see and to feel and to experience the love of our brothers and sisters who have meant so much to us. Taylor and I have felt it. <laughs> There's so much tangible care in this community, truly. Uh, if we are all honest though, myself included, we have room to grow in our care for one another. So what does care actually look like in a church like CBC? Well, really one of the greatest ways that we can come together and begin to get to know other believers in this body and begin to care for one another is through community groups. In this passage, we see that the believers were not just together in the temple, but they were in each other's homes. We at CBC recognize that in a church our size, it would be very easy to slip in and out of the worship gathering and for nobody to have ever met you, for nobody to have ever known you. And this just cannot happen, right? And so the Christian life is meant to be lived with one another. Discipleship is required in the Christian life and discipleship only happens in close relationship. And so this is uh, an absolute essential element of our life together here at CBC. Community groups, whether they meet here on Sunday morning or in homes throughout the week, are really one of the best contexts for us to begin to grow together in these close relationships. The Christian life does not consist solely of worship on Sunday mornings, it is daily. And so the caring community is daily and the process of building disciples who bring Jesus to our world is not contained in a building, but it carries on day by day. What does this care within a community group look like, practically speaking? Well, life doesn't stop as soon as we walk out these doors. It keeps coming day after day after day. We experience difficulties and pressures at work and at school to compromise our convictions. And we need brothers and sisters who can come alongside us and encourage us to remain faithful. We may experience pressures at home, trying to raise children, or just the difficulty of even having children. And we need brothers and sisters who can encourage us and comfort us and come alongside us in these difficult seasons. This can be done by text or a group messaging app. It can be done by a phone call or even better, by visiting each other in each other's homes or at a coffee shop. We deal with pressures uh, 
in so many areas of our life. We experience great loss and we need comfort uh, and presence of our brothers and sisters who will grieve with us as those who are never without hope. We also experience great successes in our faith journey. This may be that our community group was praying together for a family member who's been closed off to the gospel for years. And then all of a sudden through our prayers and through our encouragement to to continue on faithful and proclaiming the good news, that person suddenly and miraculously becomes open to the gospel and receives Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. We need believers to celebrate what God has done week in and week out. This may be when we pray together. This may be in the times when we share what God has done at the beginning of our time uh, as a community group. And this may be that You know, from time to time, we're making new inroads with neighbors as we come together uh, in each other's homes and we invite neighbors in and we're sharing the gospel with them uh, together. The Christian life is full of times of suffering and celebrating, and we need each other for both. Because, as we see in this passage, the proof of the caring community is in the pudding. The pudding, the needs of my brothers and sisters before my own. My wife and I had the privilege of living in China for two years where we taught in an international school and we were able to pastor a small international church. And in that time, I discovered my absolute favorite drink in the whole world. We discovered this drink, it's a coffee drink in Hanoi, Vietnam, where it originates. And this unusual coffee drink Uh, gets its unusual name from its unusual ingredients. And this creates a problem. I think everyone in the world should try this coffee drink. It's incredible. But as soon as I tell people the name of this coffee drink, sometimes it puts a bad taste in people's mouths. So one time I had some family members over and I made this drink for them and I said, hey, you're just gonna have to trust me, try this drink, you're going to love it. And they trusted me, they tried it, they loved it, they drank it down to the last drop. But that presents another dilemma. I think all of you should try this coffee drink, but I can't possibly make this drink for each and every one of you. And so I came up with a solution. My wife said, you just gotta start telling people the Vietnamese name for it, and then you can bypass that whole problem. And so that's what I'm gonna do. So my brothers and sisters, my Vietnamese brothers and sisters, please forgive me if I butcher this, but the name of this drink is Ga Fe Trung. This drink is a drink of contrasts. It is like this hot espresso strength, bitter coffee on bottom, topped with a sweet, fluffy layer of creamy goodness on top. And the drink stays separated until it mixes in your mouth. And the the components are great on their own, but together they just pack a knockout punch. They They are so good together. And when we taste something or when we experience something that just has to be tasted for itself, for you to understand just how good it is. When words won't do it justice, we say the proof is in the pudding. And the proof of gafe trung is in the pudding. So you can try it, unless you're allergic, and then you can thank me later. In this passage, we have seen that the proof of caring community is in the pudding, putting the needs of my brothers and sisters before my own. This means when my brother or sister is in the hospital for a surgery, 
Our community group rallies to provide meals, to make visits, to take care of needs around their home. This means that when a family brings home a child through foster care or adoption or through birth, that we rally around them and we help support them and shower them with support. When a sister or brother loses a job and they're without work for a season, that our community group is the front lines for the needs that they have, that maybe even we come together and and bring in support from ourselves before we even think to reach out to the benevolence fund of our church. We make ourselves available to care for any need, spiritual, emotional, relational, material, any needs present because if one member is in need, we all suffer unless that need is met. Because the proof of the caring community is in the pudding, putting the needs of the family before my own. For some of us this morning, that means that no matter how much I rave about our community groups, no matter how much I talk about the love that I have for my own community group and the love we've experienced from our own community group, and it has been massive, the love we've experienced, no matter how much I talk about the love I've heard of other community groups and the the stories of people experiencing the love of Christ among their brothers and sisters, that for some of you, I really just, I cannot do it justice talking about this love. For some of you, you must simply just try them to see what I'm talking about. This may simply mean taking one, uh, one next step of faith to try out a community group. Or if you've not been part of a community group for a season, this may be that God is calling you back this morning into close, caring community. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. I speak for myself, for the pastors, for our elders, all of our community group leaders here at CBC when I say that we want you to find your family here at Crossroads. The proof of caring community is in the pudding, putting the needs of each member of the family before my own. This proof, this unbreakable bond between brothers and sisters is the most compelling witness that God has ever conceived alongside the good news of the gospel. Jesus put it this way, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It is no wonder then that we see this passage end this way. And having favor with all people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Only the Lord Jesus saves. And whether it is one person or 3,000, Jesus has never lost a single person the Father has given to him, just as we sang this morning. He is still saving people today. All who call on the name of the Lord, we read earlier in this chapter, will be saved. All it takes is simple faith, simple trust, in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And what the Lord used in this passage, the caring community, is the same compelling witness that our world is waiting to see. Crossroads, let's show the good news of Jesus by our love for one another, and let's proclaim that good news of Jesus at the same time. The proof of caring community is in the pudding, putting the needs of my brothers and sisters before my own. I wanna challenge our community groups this morning, those of you who are in community groups, to think back to the first day you visited your community group. Now the reason that you probably visited that community group was just a simple invitation. Someone reached out to you and asked, hey, why don't you come and see, come and be with us. I wanna challenge you to ask yourself if God is inviting you, asking you 
to think of someone who you may be able to invite, to be that person who invites them to come and see, to come and be with us. If you're not yet in community, I would like to extend an invitation to you to come and see me at the welcome desk after the service. And I would love to just get your name, get some contact information so that I can be working with our community group leaders to find the right family for you here at Crossroads in the coming weeks. And maybe you are with us for the first time this morning and you have not ever experienced for yourself what it feels like to be part of a caring Christian community. Maybe you've not even yet experienced what it feels like to be cared for by God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I would invite you this morning to simply acknowledge your sin to, G- to, to God, to place your trust in Jesus, in his death, his burial, his resurrection, to experience forgiveness from your sins, to experience life forevermore, to experience your first day of new life today. Let me pray for us. Lord God, You are the original caring community. You are the Trinity, the Godhead, three in one. You have experienced and loved for all eternity and will love for all eternity. God, make us more like yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.